1: What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Quant Edge show here on Roto-Grinders. As always, happy to be with you. Uh, we have week number three in the NFL. So I am Justin Van Zoot, and I will be hosting the show for the next hour or so. Uh, and we hope you enjoy it. If this is your first time checking out this show... Uh, we'll give you a little bit of a rundown here because we are actually making this show free this week. So I uh, hope to uh, to get more eyes on it and uh, and you see the value in uh, possibly getting yourself a premium subscription going forward. Uh, so uh, we'll give you the lay of the land here in just a second. But first, let me introduce my two co-hosts. Uh, we've got Elliot Christ on one side from the
2: Quant Edge. Elliot, how are you? I'm doing well. You know, I didn't play enough Patriots defense last week, but we did talk up to Marcus Robinson, so I'll count that up as a victory. And, you know, a couple weeks in a row, we've, we've kind of nailed everybody. So, you know, it's been a lot of fun to do the show and I'm excited to be back for week three.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, and we can talk about that too later in the show, how to handle chalky defenses. And we've got some bad teams in the NFL this year and that's going to make, I think, the rest of this year a lot more interesting from a DFS perspective as far as how to break down. What we do with some of these games with huge spreads like we've never seen uh, in the DFS era over the le- the last six or seven years. So uh, we'll talk about that, uh, make some time to uh, mention that throughout the show tonight. Uh, we've also got Matt Gajeski here with us, still sporting his White Sox cap, even in a tough year. So uh, good job not being a fair weather fan there. And, uh, you know, you can be on my side this week and uh, and root for the Cardinals to beat the Cubs in a big series.
3: What's up, guys? yeah i don't know about that i actually live in milwaukee so that's kind of a touchy (laughs) subject right now (laughs) that's a Um, fun race yeah it is a really fun race i'm really happy that john brown and josh allen keep hitting though and i'm excited for another week did not have enough patriots defense as it sounds like you guys didn't either but we'll move on
1: yeah for sure and uh, last week you know, it was a relatively low-scoring week from a DFS perspective. Uh, we had the Patriots defense obviously going off, but not a ton of offense last week. We saw some chalkier teams like the Saints uh, really struggle. Injuries, of course, hitting Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, and uh, and lots of stuff for us to talk about going forward. And, uh, you know, that's where we usually start this show. So what we do on this show is we break down uh, five different topics throughout the show. There's obviously plenty of content. Uh, all across the DFS landscape, plenty of stuff here on Roto-Grinders that breaks things down game by game for you. We do this uh, show format just a little bit differently. So uh, we're going to go through five different topics on the show tonight, and we're going to start it off uh, with injury talk, which uh, becomes more and more relevant as the season goes along. So uh, let's begin there, and let's talk about those quarterback injuries last week. Drew Brees going to be out about six weeks for the Saints. Ben Roethlisberger going to be out the rest of the year for the Steelers. So what does that do, I guess, in DFS? You know, we're only concerned about this week for now. What does that do for the near-term outlook for the Saints and the Steelers offensively? How are we going to handle that uh, in the next few weeks? Uh, Matt, I'll start with you on uh, your thoughts on those quarterback injuries.
3: I don't think it matters as much for the Steelers. We saw Mason Rudolph come in. He attempted 19 passes, and he did a pretty good job. Completed 63% of them. Pittsburgh was already passing at a really high rate, 74% and Big Ben did lead the league in pass attempts last year. So it'll be interesting to see if Rudolph continues that trend. You know, he went to a pass-happy Oklahoma State where he did play with his teammate James Washington, so that's something I'm watching. I think they'll be a little bit less affected than the Saints. Teddy Bridgewater did not look quite as good, only completed about 50% of his passes. So that's kind of how I think those two teams break down for now.
1: Yeah, that's okay though. The Saints are going to start Taysom Hill at quarterback, fullback, wide receiver, and tight end this week. So, uh, he'll be, you know, he'll, he'll be plenty of opportunity to put up fantasy points. Uh, he'll troll everybody. Uh, Elliot, what do you think about these uh, quarterback situations here? Is these, are these teams going to be largely hands off for you or how are we handle in the Saints and Steelers?
2: So, I mean, I, th- I think each week will be its own individual week. I think one thing that's really interesting is that Sean Payton has already come out and said that he's not even ready to proclaim Teddy Bridgewater as the starter. If Taysom Hill is the starter, I think he's interesting in DFS for his rushing upside. But, I mean, I think it limits Kamara somewhat. I mean, we saw him not really have a ton of success last week. I think the Saints will slow it down and try to win with defense. But Michael Thomas, if Bridgewater is the quarterback and they get down, will still get a lot of targets. We saw that last week. With Mason Rudolph, I mean, <laughs> the coach came out this week and when he was asked about uh, Dante Moncrief, the wide receiver coach. He said, yeah, wide receivers need to catch the ball. And, you know, that's that sounds ridiculous when you say it out loud, but when you watch Moncrief, I mean, he uses his head more than he uses his hands to try to catch the football. And if James Washington (laughs) takes over that role with the way Mason Rudolph like to take shots 20 or more yards downfield, that college chemistry, um, and we saw his air yards in week week one and the way he's able to stack defenders, I think James Washington becomes an interesting play. But Mason Rudolph will rely on his players to make plays. And so that's good for Juju. And as long as they continue to pass at the rate they want to pass at, and, you know, quite frankly, they might pass even more now that they're probably going to be down in games more, um, I think that the the playmakers for the Steelers will be okay. It'll be interesting to see if James Conner okay or not. You know, that there may be some adjustments there. Samuel's probably a better pass catcher than he is runner. So I still think the Steelers are okay, but the Saints may get more conservative overall.
1: And that's not it for the quarterback injuries. We've got Cam Newton still sporting a walking boot. Sounds like he's going to be out this week uh, in all likelihood, barring a miracle. You're going to see Kyle Allen at the helm for Carolina this week. And the Giants are finally making a change. Eli Manning is out. Daniel Jones is in. I suppose that's not really an injury, but uh, it's another kind of uh, spot to uh, to talk about from an injury perspective. You look at both Allen and Daniel Jones, uh, certainly very cheap on DFS sites this week. Um, you know, the matchups, uh, Allen gets to go up against a fast-paced Arizona team. Uh, those teams actually rank one and two in the league in tempo, uh, Carolina and Arizona so far this year. And Daniel Jones gets to debut against the Bucks. So, uh, in terms of these two replacement quarterbacks, uh, where do we slot them amongst our interest in value guys? Uh, Elliot, I'll toss this one over to, uh, to you first.
2: Um, you know what? I think we can throw Eli in for an injury with bruised ego after. <laughs> One fair. Um, I think Kyle Allen's really interesting because Cam Newton last week couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, right? I mean, Curtis Samuel had what 240 air yards. He had multiple times he was open down the field, multiple times he was open with a ton of room to run, and Cam Newton just couldn't hit him. I think the really exciting thing about Kyle Allen is one, the matchup with the Cardinals in terms of pace of play; two, the fact that the Cardinals have no defenders in the secondary at this point. Three, all all of his top playmakers, whether it's Christian McCaffrey, DJ Moore, or Curtis Samuel, are big time run after the catch guys. And at 4K on DraftKings, I think he's incredibly interesting to have a game stack. You know, maybe a Kyle Allen, Curtis Samuel, bring it back with Larry Fitz and Christian Kirk, and then play studs around them. I think that's an, that's a really interesting uh, way to attack it. With Daniel Jones, he does. I think he improves the offense overall. The Bucks have done a really good job against the run this year, but I think that secondary has some holes in it. You know, Sterling Shepard will be back. We get Evan Ingram. I think Daniel Jones was probably the best quarterback all preseason, has some rushing upside. I think he helps the offense overall. I'd be more interested in, in him on FanDuel than DraftKings. Uh, I'll probably wait a week on Jones and probably just play Evan Ingram, but I think Kyle Allen's really intriguing in DFS this week.
1: All right, Matt, what are your thoughts on those two quarterback situations?
2: I'm kind of on
3: the other side. I agree with Elliot said, but I do like Jones just a bit more because of his rushing upside. You know, that's a guy that had 1,300 rushing yards in his three years at Dukes, and he didn't even play a full season his senior year. So that's, you know, kind of like Josh Allen for the Buffalo Bills. That's something we're definitely looking for in our quarterbacks. As for Kyle Allen, I couldn't agree more with what Elliot said at that price. He's actually a really sneaky play. The Cardinals last week, they just got diced up by Lamar Jackson, Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, every one of that offense. And if the Panthers play with the pace of play that they have been so far this year, he should see a lot of volume.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting to see if they'll play slower. I mean, if that game is as up-tempo as it should be, the total in that game is only like 44 points. I think that's too low uh, too for low. what it's worth. Yeah. It's I wrote that game in our, uh, Roto Grinders uh, grind down this week and, uh, and that was my favorite bet, uh, of the week is the over in that game for what that's worth. So, um, that, that takes care of the quarterback injuries. Obviously lots of them and lots of impactful ones that we need to keep an eye on. Uh, there's lots of other situations as well. The Kansas City running backs, Damian Williams seems extremely unlikely to play. Uh, LaShawn McCoy maybe has a better shot to suit up. Uh, so those two guys we need to monitor. Marlon Mack uh, seems like he's going to be able to go, but he's questionable for Indianapolis officially. Uh, we've got the Philadelphia receivers, Alshon Jeffrey. Every Philadelphia wide receiver seemingly got hurt on Sunday night, so Alshon Jeffrey's a question mark this week. Uh Deshaun Jackson's a, a question mark this week, and, and seemingly he, he's not going to play. Um You know Tyrell Williams is banged up for Oakland. Josh Jacobs' report came out today that he'd lost 10 pounds. Uh, Remarkable number of injuries between week two and week three here. So of these running backs, receivers, uh, I'll let you guys have the floor. Uh, Matt, what are some of the ones that uh, you think are, are most impactful to us this week?
3: I think the Philly injuries are the most impactful. And one that's kind of flying under the radar is Dallas Goddard. And I think his injury is so impactful because of the rate Philly uses 12 personnel. So it'll be interesting to see if this is a shift they make to more three wide receiver sets this week. You know, last week we saw Zacherts play 100% of the snaps. Before this game, Philly had been running 12 personnel at basically the highest rate in the NFL. So that affects everything from Nelson Aguilar to Ertz. And then obviously to the players everyone wants to play, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside and Mac Collins. So I'm just interested to see how Philadelphia handles the Goddard injury.
1: Yeah, just the lack of bodies there. Uh, you know, you've got Aguilar, you've got Ertz that are healthy, and then, uh, Orsega Whiteside should be looking at more playing time this week, uh, for sure. Uh, Elliot, how are you handling kind of those other, um, spots to monitor?
2: Yeah, I mean, week two was, was brutal for teams, right? I mean, even Jason Peters got hurt for the Eagles as well. And mean, Zachert saw 16 targets last week. Nelson Aguilar saw 11. I mean, Aguilar, because it was the Sunday night game, too, no one got priced up. So there's a lot of really good cash plays in that Eagles game. Um, I mean, if, if Damian Williams and LaShawn McCoy misses, Darwin Thompson becomes, you know, your cash game lock of the week. If Marlon Mack misses and it becomes the Jordan Wilkins show against the Falcons team that funnels passes to the running back, he becomes in play. Even Naheem Hines becomes in play. I mean, this is a big news week because there's a lot of guys that are currently questionable. And it could open up a ton of value. I mean, there's, there's a few studs that everyone wants to play, right? Whether it's Zeke is 23 point home favorites or whatever insane total the Dolphins are underdogs by this week or Dalvin Cook or Christian McCaffrey. I mean, you're, people are going to be searching for value and, you know, a lot could really open up this week. And running back for me is the position where I'm willing to eat chalk the most, especially at a, a guy near min price if he's projected to touch the ball 15 to 20 times.
1: All right. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, these are some spots where especially as it gets harder and harder to find value, uh, we're going to need to monitor these injuries, especially the ones that break later or get confirmed later. Uh, for example, you know, the situation in in Kansas city with their running backs. And of course they're still without Tyreek Hill as well. Uh, Tevin Coleman still out for San Francisco. Um, let's see. Michael Gallup's going to be out a couple weeks for Dallas. Not that they need him this week as 21 point favorites anyway. Uh, Darius Geis uh, expected to miss six to eight weeks, uh, torn meniscus. So that's one. Uh, I don't think that game, they're Monday night this week. Uh, but that's one we need to monitor, uh, see how long he's going to be out. And, and you know, we, we saw a timeshare split between Adrian Peterson and Chris Thompson last week. That'll likely continue based on game flow. Devin Singletary got hurt last week too. Uh, so Frank Gore, 20 carries once again. Uh, seems like it's going to be in play. I mean, there's just uh, lots of injuries. Uh, David Njoku got hurt uh, on Monday night, broken wrist. He's going to be out a while. I mean, if you go to uh, an injury report page for skilled players, it's almost three times as long as it was last week. Um, Elliot, is there any more that we haven't mentioned that you think specifically uh, relate to how you're going to handle your DFS lineup building this week?
2: I think we, we touched on the biggest one. I think Michael Gallup's interesting to see is Devin Smith in play. You know, against that team, is he going to take up some of those air yards or do we want to move him over to Amari Cooper? Um, the Devin Singletary thing's interesting. I mean, I, Roto Grinders put up something on Instagram that said, you know, all the quarterbacks like Philip Rivers and Ben Rothbury are close to retiring, but 15 years from now, we're going to be relying on Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield and Tom Brady. <laughs> and like, I, I feel like, I feel like we're going to still that be relying right. on Frank Gore. Like what, I <laughs> swear to God, if I was a running back that was on Frank Gore's team, I'd be like, no, trade me. Like this is a curse, he's gonna be the third string running back and I'm gonna get hurt and he's gonna play, you know, 66% of the snaps. And it is interesting that Josh Allen was a big time red zone threat last year and he still is this year, don't get me wrong, but Gore has seen 75% of the red zone carries for the Bills, so I guess he's in play. My, my thing is in general, the, the stud backs this week are really where I wanna go, but there could be a lot of value, you know, with, with the Colts and the Chiefs running backs. Those are certainly situations I don't wanna ignore.
1: All right, Matt, anything else you want to touch on on the injury
3: front? Yeah, I'll touch on the Damian Williams situation. If we do get news that McCoy and Damian Williams are both out, I don't really think I want to roster Darwin Thompson still. Daryl Williams is a little bit worrisome to me. He has been playing a little bit of snaps this year, and Daryl Williams is actually a player that was splitting time with Damian Williams right when um, Kareem Hunt was suspended last year. So that's just at least a little worrisome for me. And then just adding to the Frank Gore, I mean they're they're six point favorites. Buffalo is, and then they've been doing really well in the red zone, like Elliot has said. They've I believe they've converted all of their their red zone attempts so far this year. So highly efficient,
2: even in Frank Gore's old age. How does the Bills start with the schedule? How'd they get the giant, the Jets, the Giants, and the Bengals like that? <laughs> in terms of, uh, of great that, matches, the
1: there. NFL having a a little bit of pity on the Buffalo Bills for their. Uh, you know, their early playoff exit a couple years ago, uh, after the kind of miracle making it there. And it's just, uh, you know, giving them some confidence with a good start. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's my theory on that anyways. <laughs> Easy matchup uh, this week. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it is, a, you know, a perfect opportunity to Buffalo, for Buffalo to, uh, to go to three and oh. All right, let's move on to our second topic then, uh, which is cash game chalk plays. We'll talk about the cornerstones, the obvious plays this week before we get into some GPP pivots. And this is a week where you're going to see a lot of people probably pay up at running back for one of the top-end guys, whether it's Ezekiel Elliott or McCaffrey or maybe going down to Dalvin Cook. Austin Eckler's been pretty good through a couple of weeks, and uh, those guys are going to soak up some ownership with limited value at the position at least limited reliable value at the position this week. And you're going to see people saving at wide receiver as kind of your popular build. I'll let you guys break it down a little bit here. Uh Elliot, uh, which of these chalky uh, high-end running backs are, are you most likely to roster this week?
2: Do I have to pick one? Is that how this game uh, works? You can pick two
1: if you want.
2: Or <laughs> in, in cash, it's going to be uh Christian McCaffrey and Dalvin Cook for me. I mean, Cook is – Performing at an amazing rate, and we've seen that throughout his career when he's healthy. He's got the breakaway ability. The Vikings only want to run. I think if Mike Zimmer, if it was up to Mike Zimmer, they'd never throw the ball again. And Christian McCaffrey, you know, that Arizona Cardinals defense is one that we've looked to target running backs against for a while. As high owned as he's projected to be, I still think it's lower than it would have been if he's not coming off a bust of a week on Thursday night football. Um, and I really want exposure to that game. Like you mentioned, the pace. I think he's going to be worked heavily in the passing game, in the running game. You know, He's going to play 100% of the snaps. The thing with Zeke that worries me is, you know, does he get all of it in the first half? Because there's a really good chance it's 23-point home favorites. You know, we saw it in the first week with Tony Pollard, who touched the ball 13 times. You know, they kind of – they don't have Zeke in much in the second half because it doesn't really gain them anything. So the question is, does he get his by that? I mean, obviously, there's no guarantee the Cowboys cover this game. The Dolphins could keep it a little bit closer and Zeke could go off. But if I had to pick two of the three, it would be Cook and McCaffrey for me.
1: Uh, We we hope for a miracle, a couple touchdowns by the Dolphins to at least keep it remotely competitive, maybe for three quarters. Uh, But yeah, Dallas minus 21 and a half, minus 22, depending on where you look and uh, the Patriots are minus 22 and a half against the Jets, which is two 21-point spreads in the same week, uh, which I am fairly confident I have never seen. And, uh, you know, the last time it, it happened, it just doesn't happen very often. Uh, I was reading some stuff on this yesterday, and, you know, the largest spreads in NFL history, a couple 28-27s. I believe the two largest ones were not covered for what that's worth, but... Uh, Broncos, Jags size. a couple
2: of years ago, everyone yeah. was all over the Broncos, right? And I think the Jags lost by like seven points or something like that.
1: Yeah, and um, last year there was the infamous game where um, Minnesota was favored by 17 against Buffalo in the early season, and Buffalo beat them 27-6. to 6. So I'm not saying that that's going to happen here. I certainly don't expect Miami to go into Dallas and win. I don't expect the Jets with their third-string quarterback to go into New England and win, uh, but uh, crazier things have happened in this league. So uh, El- or, no, I already went to you. Matt, uh, what are you looking at with the uh, high-end running backs this week?
3: I couldn't agree more with what Elliott said. On Zeke, I think the the main worry is just that he gets pulled. You know, if he plays a half, it's just not going to be viable in DFS this week. Looking at Saquon Barkley at 9,100, obviously he's in play every single week. 25 touches last week. He has target counts of six and seven. You have to think Daniel Jones is an upgrade on this offense, but I think the only worry here is whether Daniel Jones will target Saquon as much as Eli did. Either way, I think he's a focal point of this offense. They have a pretty good offensive line, so I think that's just a small worry. Also should be noted, um, Christian McCaffrey, he was limited by Tampa Bay last week for what that's worth. I'm not, not really considering that, but just thought I'd throw it out there. And then Austin Eckler, he's kind of a direct pivot off Dalvin Cook. I do prefer Cook one-to-one, but Eckler's been seeing a lot of work this year too, 19 and 23 touches. He has target counts of six and seven This this particular game. It is an over under a 48 and a half. That's the second highest on the slate. And then as far as matchup goes, the Texans have been quietly allowing six yards per carry to backs. So that's the worst in the NFL. Allow some damage to backs out of the receiving game. Fournette had four for 40. Kamara had seven for 72. So Eckler can really work in all phases of the game here.
1: Yeah. Eckler's been very, very solid through the first couple weeks. 12 catches, uh, 75% snap share. I mean, he's, uh, he's been, a guy
2: that's Melvin probably Gordon, right. Melvin Gordon. He he plays the same exact role Melvin Gordon does. He just doesn't get priced the way Melvin Gordon.
1: Yeah, not uh, and not looking good for Melvin Gordon on the leverage front when uh, Eckler can come in and, and you know put up the same type of production. So um those are kind of the chalk plays at uh, at running back this week. Uh, you know, you're gonna want to fit in at least one of those higher-end guys, maybe even two, if you can save at the other positions. And I think the big question at receiver is what to do with a mega-cheap Nelson Aguilar. Do you have to plow him into your cash game lineups? He's 4,800 on FanDuel, he's 3,600 on DraftKings, uh, he's 7,800 on Fantasy Draft, 14 bucks on Yahoo. We basically got him projected at 30% ownership everywhere. Um, because, you know, the Eagles are are missing two, possibly three other targets with Goddard and Jeffrey and Jackson all banged up. Uh, So it's, you know, it's a simple question. Do you have to play Nelson Aguilar if you're making uh, one, you know, cash game lineup this week? Uh, Matt, I'll start this one off with you.
3: I don't think you have to play him. He is a very strong play, but you do have J.J. Arcega-Whiteside in the same offense at 3,500. The targets were very skewed last week. Arcega-Whiteside did only have four. Aguilar had 11. But our Sega Whiteside did run just one fewer route than Aguilar. And then, you know, not knowing whether Philadelphia is going to employ more 12 personnel this week, I'm kind of off Matt Collins. I think it'll be our Sega Whiteside and Aguilar that are st- soaking up this, the snaps here.
1: Our Sega Whiteside, I'm a big college football DFS guy and and he was dominant. At Stanford, a huge red zone target. And, you know, my opinion on him is probably a little bit skewed from how good he was uh, with the uh, the collegiate game. So I'm a fan of him. Um, but uh, everybody will, you know, will certainly be the flocking to Aguilar uh, after last week's performance in cash games. Uh, Elliot, what's your thoughts on uh, on Aguilar and uh, how important he is this week?
2: I mean, first, just to echo, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside was something else at Stanford. That guy played like Mike Evans in college. I mean, he he's a touchdown machine. It is interesting that, you know, he, he was phenomenal this preseason, but he has very little, you know, in-game experience with Carson Wentz. And if we look back at last year, Nelson Aguilar led the team in target share at 21.7% when Alshon Jeffrey was off the field. At 3,600, I think you kind of have to play him in cash. I think he, you can absolutely fade him in GPPs. You know, JJ Arstega Whiteside's probably a good pivot, direct pivot off of him in GPPs. But, in cash, I'm, I'm guessing he's probably closer to 60 or 65% owned in cash. And I don't, I really think he can only hurt you. He, you know what I mean? Like by, by fading him, even if he scores eight points, you're not jumping up that much against the field and he's going to allow people to play all those studs. So I, I really think from a roster construction standpoint, cash and just a pure value that he makes a ton of sense as a guy that's probably locked into seven or eight targets this week.
1: Just for clarity for all of you out there, we had to get Elliot on the show here tonight to uh, get him doing something other than looking up Derrick Henry's high school stats, uh, which he was fascinated about on uh, social media this morning. Uh, we're taping this up Thursday night. So uh, I will admit though, uh, they're pretty good high school numbers for the guy.
2: Honestly, I listen, I, I had to write up a showdown slate tonight <laughs> and to try to make this game interesting, I had to come up with a couple of things. So. Gardner Minshew's naked workouts and Derek Henry's high school stats is what I was able to come up with.
1: <laughs> that was pretty entertaining watching that on Twitter this morning. So, uh, and the, uh, the, the gif of the lawnmower um, running everybody over was pretty good. Uh, let's talk about some of these other guys. So from there, I mean, the, uh, the, the build gets a little less obvious. Um, Let's talk quarterbacks for just a second in cash games. You know, you've got the expensive guys. You've got Mahomes. You've got Lamar Jackson in a head-to-head showdown this week. You've got cheaper guys like Jameis Winston and Kyler Murray and the new starters like uh, Daniel Jones, Kyle Allen. Uh, So in cash games this week, is it a pay-up for the safety of a Lamar or a Mahomes at quarterback, or or do you take a shot on one of the cheaper guys? Uh, Elliot, I'll go to you on that
2: one. I'm never a guy that likes to pay up for quarterback. I mean, Lamar is the Konami code, right? I and mean, he's he's the kind of guy that I've been attacking all season long and all last year, but his price is now matching that. Now, obviously, it's the highest total of the week, and I, I get why people would want to go there. But for me, there's, there's kind of two guys that I'm really interested in at this point of the week. One is Josh Allen at 5,900. Now, we're still looking at a guy that has, what, five of his last eight weeks finished a top five quarterback and never less than quarterback 13. With the rushing upside, you know they he's going to get nine or ten carries. The Bengals do not cover the deep ball well at all this year. I think they have ten passes against them for fifteen or more yards this season, and teams are averaging twenty-one point three yards per attempt. So the the Bengals they don't have good linebackers, they have slow linebackers. I think it's an opportunity for Josh Allen to continue to crush value. I think he's about six or seven hundred dollars under priced this week. Kyle Allen is four K against the Arizona Cardinals. Defense, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm not. I don't. <laughs> they're not quite the Miami Dolphins, but that defense is is pretty atrocious. And he does have a little running upside as well. I think he ran a four seven six uh, in the combine. He's he's got some athleticism. I talked about earlier. He's got the playmakers. Very pace up game. I I think that at four K in cash, there he really doesn't need to do much to get you there. And if he throws for a couple touchdowns and maybe gets 20 yards rushing, he's going to set up your cash lineup to fit in all the other studs that you want. So I think Kyle Allen's absolutely in play for cash this week.
1: And he started in week 17 last year, actually got a victory and uh 225 yards, a couple scores, I believe in that game um, from looking that up uh, the other night. So, uh, you
2: know, that's a spe- that good well, He
1: did. So, um, you know, in, in the pace that game will likely be played at, uh, I certainly think that it's not out of the question. Of course, this is all assuming that Cam Newton officially gets ruled out, which we expect, uh, but has not been confirmed as of the time that we are taping this video. Uh, Matt, what are you doing at quarterback this week? My favorite
3: play is pivoting over to the other side of that game and targeting Kyler Murray at 5,800. I think he's just a little bit cheaper than Josh Allen here, but he brings just as much, if not more, upside. You 2 already touched on the pace. Arizona running with the second fastest seconds per snap. That's only behind Carolina. They're using four wide receivers in that air raid scheme. Murray's averaging 47, which is wild, passing attempts per game. And he hasn't even begun to run yet. He has 17 rushing yards on the year. This is a guy that ran for a 1,000 yards in college. So hopefully we can get him a little bit more comfortable on the ground this week. And you know, this is a team that started running no huddle at seventy two percent last week. Their pace should be high either way. The attempt should be there. Hopefully we just get him on the ground.
2: Can I can I throw in one point about Kyler Murray is that uh the only reason I didn't mention him was because over on FanDuel, you know, we think he's mispriced on DraftKings. I don't I don't know who drank or smoked what before they priced Kyler Murray over on FanDuel, but it's seventy two hundred dollars. Uh he's I think he's a cash game lock on FanDuel and all your points matter are, are phenomenal and you know, also the Lions contain quarterbacks as well as any team in the league, and he played them week one. And the Ravens are really good at containing quarterbacks as well. So the Panthers are about middle of the road. And you know, all he needs is one or two. He still got what seven carries on the season. That's not terrible rushing usage. So I, I think the Kyler Murray call is phenomenal.
1: Yeah, Murray certainly a strong play here, and obviously last week he looked comfortable against Baltimore. I mean, he didn't uh, didn't necessarily lose the game, and you look at the end results in that game. I mean. The Cardinals settled for three field goals inside the five-yard line. Uh, surprised they didn't go for some of those, but, uh, you know, ended up losing by one score. And uh, it, it certainly wasn't Murray's fault that they lost that game. And, and it was a tough road matchup as a two-touchdown underdog. It held himself up pretty well. So uh, things should get a little easier for him, and he's back at home this week. So I like that call as well, and I think he's in play, uh, whether it is cash games or GPPs. Uh, anything else you guys want to touch on in terms of cash game roster construction? Actually, I said we touch on this, so let's do it. Um, let's touch on defense. I mean, Elliot, you mentioned you didn't have enough of the Patriots D last week. Uh, seems like defenses against uh, Miami are going to be a thing. You know, people will play the Patriots again against the Jets, Dallas again against Miami uh, with both teams being three touchdown favorites. Uh, is it a priority to jam in a top tier defense this week?
2: I mean, it was, I think this is going to be the, the theme of the season, like you said, with the Dolphins as bad as they are. And Josh Rosen's in there now. He's more of a statue than Fitzpatrick. He's been turnover prone. But ultimately, paying up for a defense at such a high-variance position where if the Dolphins don't have a, def, you know, or the Cowboys don't have a defensive touchdown and the Dolphins score any points, you know, there there's a lot of opportunity for paying down this week, saving $1,800. On a team like the Chargers against the Texans who have allowed four more sacks for eight straight weeks. You know, that, that provides a nice little floor there as well. So, I'm probably gonna stick to my guns for a while and just say I don't really pay up for chalky defenses. That's, that's not the way I go with such a high variance position. You know, defensive touchdowns are, are so random, it's really tough to rely on them. That yeah. being said, the Dolphins are a JV team, so it is, even though all logic would suggest what I'm saying is correct, it is a little scary, and Luke Falk, the nice thing about the Jets and Luke Falk is they only throw the ball three yards, and it's tougher to throw interceptions <laughs> when you only throw it three yards.
1: Hey, Le'Veon Bell caught, what, ten balls on Monday?
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh.
2: Hey, I just need to say this, because we talked about, uh, the, the Jet, me going to the Jets game last week. Yeah. I, <laughs> At halftime, they had nine pass attempts and they they had four passing yards. And I asked a couple of Jets fans as I walked up, I was like, "What is going on?" And they're like, "Man, I'm just here to drink beers, man." I, don't even care about <laughs> I was like, "Listen, that's the right approach if you go to the, go see this team play." So, um, I mean, I'm just ripping on the Jets, but the,
1: the beers uh, consumed ratio is greater than the yards per attempt uh, for the go. Jets. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think the logic holds, and it's really tough because of recency bias to to not say well you just got to jam in Dallas or you just got to jam in New England um but it, the defensive touchdowns are so fluky and you know the dolphins as bad as they are they're not going to give up two defensive scores every week uh, we hope so i i do do think that it's you know it's it's not mandatory to do that i mean you can go down and get a if you're playing on draftkings you know buffalo is 900 cheaper than dallas and they've got a similar, similarly good home matchup against Cincinnati. So I, I don't think it's a requirement. Certainly if you have the salary, go ahead and do it, but I don't think it's a requirement. Uh Matt, what are your thoughts about the uh, the uh defense against the Miami theme?
3: I agree with Elliot. I think it's just a very – it's a high-variance position. In week one, we saw – I think it was San Francisco lead the position in points, and they were down at something like 2,200 or 2,400 on DraftKings. And just as far as last week goes, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Pittsburgh had two defensive touchdowns called back. If those touchdowns stand, the slate looks very different at the end of the day. As far as the Chargers go this week, my two favorite things to target when looking at cheap defenses are whether they're going to be playing from a lead. You know, Can they kind of pin their ears back and pressure the quarterback? And then what are their pressure statistics like? Are they a team that actually generates pressure? And the Chargers fit the bill with both of those. So they're actually my favorite cheap defense this
2: week as well.
1: Yeah, Houston's pass blocking has been pretty alarming through the first couple of weeks. So
2: Houston's pass blocking is it makes Miami's pass blocking look like an NFL team. That's how bad. <laughs> Ouch.
1: That's is. really bad. Uh yeah, so you know, that's uh, that's an interesting call right there. I, I don't mind that one. Uh, and that kind of segues us into, uh, you know, let's talk about some defensive matchups, talk about some wide receiver cornerback matchups. I don't think it's as impactful of a week uh, as maybe we've seen with some others. Um, you know, I, I think it's, uh, you know, the first thing that caught my eye was uh, that DeAndre Hopkins, a uh, poor guy, has to go against Marshawn Lattimore and Jalen Ramsey, and now he's likely going to be shadowed by Casey Hayward this week. The guy hasn't been able to catch a good matchup in three weeks. Uh so that's uh, that's an interesting one and you know and um, Matt you just kind of touched on on that game a little bit uh it, I presume you're not as high on the uh, the Houston uh, skill players this week.
3: I'm I'm not as high on them. As far as wide receiver cornerback matchups my my favorite one to target in that price range is Keenan Allen. Somehow he's priced at wide receiver 8 on DraftKings at 7k. We saw a ridiculous target share, 42.9% last week. He had 15 targets, 216 air yards. That's with Mike Williams being banged up and Hunter Henry out. He, the Houston already cut Aaron Colvin. They're now looking at Ronnie, Lonnie Johnson, who's a rookie, the 35-year-old Jonathan Joseph, and Bradley Roby primarily covering the slot where Keenan Allen runs the majority of his routes. I think he should just absolutely eat in this matchup on the other side of the ball.
1: Yeah, Keenan Allen just gonna get so many targets. I mean, him and Eckler are just, uh, gonna be monster usage guys as long as Henry's out and we don't know if Mike Williams is at 100%. Williams is a great red zone guy, but he's not a heavy target monster and, and I think, you know, those two guys, uh, two receivers, well, one receiver and, and Eckler out of the backfield, uh, really strong options, uh, this week and, you know, and a Chargers team that could score some points. Um, Elliot, what are you looking at as far as the individual, uh, wide receiver matchups this week?
2: Yeah, I mean, I swear sometimes Matt and I share notes, like we don't. But Keenan Allen was the guy I was really, really excited to talk about. So, um, you know, hes I think he's going to eat. I think he's a cash game lock for me as well with that volume. Uh, a couple guys that are a little bit lower that I think are really interesting. Uh, one is Curtis Samuel. And last week he had, what, 240 air yards, led the league in air yards. We're looking at a Cardinals team that gave up – uh everything to marquise brown and and in week one kenny galladay and the air yards got them they're on their backup cornerbacks i think that he's going to he's priced too cheap and he didn't really go off the way he he should have based on his volume i think he's a really strong bounce back candidate and a really good matchup and kenny galladay is another one for me with a lot of those bucks receivers being chalked this week uh, i think he's a really strong pivot against the eagles team that uh, that allows, what, 115 yards to wide receiver once this year and 108 last year. He's one of the top guys in air yards. He, he clearly is the number one receiver on that team, even though coming into the year I thought it would be kind of more of a 1A, 1B. Stafford has taken the most deep shots of any quarterback in the NFL this year, and that Eagles secondary is a mess. So I think Kenny Galladay at 6,600 is really interesting. Couldn't agree with uh, Matt more about Keenan Allen at 7,000 I think Curtis Samuel along with like a guy like a Larry Fitzgerald where the Panthers really struggle on the slot. And I don't know what he has to do to get a price increase, but apparently not have 100 yards and leave the team in red zone targets. But those are a couple guys that I really like this week.
1: Yeah, how about Larry Fitzgerald? Back-to-back 100-yard games, 24 targets in two weeks. Uh, he's back, man. He's He's got the Frank Gore youthful juices flowing, Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, fun to see. Uh, him producing uh still, you know, this all the rumors about uh, retirement and all that. He's he's putting that to uh, to rest right now. So Fitzgerald, Christian Kirk, uh, obviously, if you're if you're interested in playing Kyler Murray this week, uh, those those two should continue to uh, soak up plenty of targets. And uh, Kirk went over 100 yards last week as well. Um, let's see, any other any other specific uh, cornerback matchups, you guys? I I, I just. I don't think it's as impactful of a week for individual one-on-one matchups.
2: I think one other guy I just want to mention because Jimmy Smith is going to be out is that Sammy Watkins sh- isn't going to have that hard of a matchup this week. And we we're talking about the guy that he did see 13 targets last week. And what, Demarcus Robinson and McCall Hardman, I think each saw six. So he doubled their target workload on FanDuel. He's what, 400, 500 more expensive than Demarcus Robinson. Uh, I think Sammy Watkins got a price-down week where last week he got the volume, he just didn't blow up, and I think this is a good week to try to go back to him where I'm not as worried about the Ravens' secondary due to due to their injuries.
1: All right. Uh Matt, you got anything else on that front? Otherwise, we'll move to some GPP plays. I'll touch on the Tampa Bay
3: pass catchers quickly. So cross your fingers when you're going for these Tampa Bay pass catchers, but Jameis Winston actually did look a little better last week. He completed around 64% of his passes. If Mike Evans is going to get right this year, it is going to be against this Giants team. DeAndre Baker has been absolutely atrocious in coverage. He's allowed 11 catches on 13 targets for 272 yards, and he'll be on the outside. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin both plays a bit on the outside with Tampa Bay running a lot of 12 personnel, so two tight ends. So we'll get Godwin out there as well. And then if Janoris Jenkins does end up shadowing something he's done in the past, Mike Evans has a full seven inches of height advantage on Janoris Jenkins. If there's a get-right week, I think it's this week against the Giants.
1: That's a perfect segue into the the GPP plays, the lower-owned pivots this week, because I, I really wanted to touch on this. You know, there was a national TV Thursday night game last week. Everyone's talking about Chris Godwin. He's ascended to the number one role in Tampa Bay. Mike Evans is done. It's all Chris Godwin now, and, and suddenly, you know, Chris Godwin's more expensive than Mike Evans on DraftKings this week, and maybe Chris Godwin does end up being the number one in Tampa uh, for the year as a whole. But Mike Evans isn't just going to disappear. Uh, this is a guy that he's going to have his weeks. Like you mentioned, Matt, he's got the advantage against this secondary and if, if Evans is going to have single digit, like five, six percent of ownership this week, I'm really interested in him, uh, as a tournament play. So I like that call. Uh, Elliot, who are some of your favorite, uh, tournament pivots this week?
2: Yeah. Just to echo on Mike Evans, I think he's got an 18-8 out this year and the Giants have just gotten absolutely wrecked down the field. So if, if that continues, I think Evans is in for a huge week. And I, it's, it's just the definition of a GPP play when a guy busts on national TV and you come back to him. So. Speaking of a guy not looking great who just played on national TV, um, <laughs> I, I don't, uh, Devonta Freeman. I think he's in for a really interesting matchup. You know, his snaps went from 50 to 62%. Uh, he's averaging, you know, what, 2 yards, 2.2 yards a carry. He has not looked good on the ground. But Darius Leonard might be out in this game. The Colts' final targets underneath, you know, last year, I think they gave up 8.75 targets to running backs per game. Freeman's seen 75% of the team's targets at the running back position through two weeks. You know, he's down to 4,900. He has touchdown equity in this offense. The Colts really limit big plays against, which is how they just got the Eagles with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. I think Freeman is as cheap as he's going to be in this role. And, you know, it's still, what, the the third highest total game, and, and no one seems to want to play Freeman. So I think Freeman is an incredibly interesting third running back this week.
1: Yeah, uh, it will be interesting to see how he's utilized going forward and, you know, how the snaps shake out there. Obviously it's, he's probably gonna have some frustrating weeks, uh, but we know he does have some upside and in a favorable matchup and what could be a fairly close high-scoring game this week. I think he's an interesting target. Um, Aaron, he's this guy isn't necessarily gonna be low owned but I wanna make sure we touch on him here. Uh, How how does Saquon Barkley's outlook change with Daniel Jones at quarterback? I want to let you guys take an opportunity to answer that question. Matt, I'll start with uh, you on that one. I
3: don't think it changes a lot. He's someone the Giants obviously want to involve as the focal point of their offense. He's a guy that had 25 touches last week. I think the main concern is targets out of the backfield, whether Daniel Jones will try to incorporate him as much as Eli Manning did. Otherwise, I think Saquon Barkley is a strong play basically every single week based on volume alone. They have a great offensive line, and hopefully Daniel Jones can kind of get the wheel spinning on the offense again. Hopefully they score some more touchdowns and make some red zone trips.
1: Elliot, your thoughts on uh, Barkley with the new quarterback?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Jones is a is a better player than Eli Manning at this point. I think anything is an upgrade to the offense, so – if they can move the ball a little bit more and, and hold on to the ball a little bit more, I think it helps Barkley, who, you know, through two weeks has been incredibly efficient. You know, it's it's not like he hasn't been good. He just hasn't been great. So I, I, I think it's a, a bump up to the entire Giants offense.
1: Yeah, it certainly can't be much worse as a whole. So uh, I'll, I'll give you guys an open floor now. Uh, Matt, uh, some of your thoughts on uh, GPP pivots. Guys, we haven't touched on uh, during the show that you want to make sure we mention. At running
3: back, I think one interesting play is Aaron Jones, and we'll see how ownership shakes out throughout the week. We obviously have a lot of question marks down at the bottom, like the chief situation and Devin Singletary that will probably influence ownership a lot. But Aaron Jones sitting at 6,100. He had 30 touches last week, and LaFleur seems like he's up to his old ways. He said he wants to somehow get Jones more involved, and that wasn't just on the ground either. Jones had seven targets, which was very surprising to me. In a game where the Packers are favored to win by seven and a half points, I think we see another heavy dose of Aaron Jones here.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they, uh, you know, th- there was a, I think part of what's keeping his projection down is uh, there was a blurb that came out the other day that they want to see Williams more involved or they want to, to be more of a 50-50 split, but uh, you know, some of that coach speak, you just you, you got to let it roll off to the side because it's production on the field that matters. And the fact is Aaron Jones had 23 carries for 116 yards, and he also had six targets last week. So I, I'm not going to be fooled by the coach speak, and if that puts Aaron Jones down at like 3 to 4% ownership, uh, I'll, I'll gladly take some of that in GPPs.
2: Somebody's going to have to explain Jamal Williams to me. I just,
1: <laughs> it's, it's like Mike M- McCarthy's still there he's got the dirt you know the the The, the Williams dirt is somewhere that uh, you know it's just it's threatening so he needs the reps to uh, avoid uh, airing the dirty laundry that, that's the only explanation
2: it's, uh, every metric says he's no good but mm-hmm. every coach is like let's get him 40 to 50% snap share it makes absolutely no sense
1: <laughs> yes I agree Um, anybody else Elliot on the uh, the GPP pivot side that you want to talk about
2: so, I don't know if these are necessarily pivots. Um, one might be a leverage play in the Cardinals game, but I'm going to go with a couple really cheap guys that I expect to have nearly no ownership. Demir Bird of the Cardinals has played 90% of the snaps back yeah. and has 14 targets. Uh, I think he's interesting exposure at 3K. Uh, if he scores a touchdown, he's got 20 point upside. If you're looking to stack that game, I think he's definitely a guy you want, you know, to, to mix in some exposure with. And I think he's going to carry no ownership. Um, I think that one's a very sharp play. This one I'm I'm interested to kinda of actually hear your guys' reaction and no reaction will tell me what I need to hear as well. Uh Ty Johnson of the Lions. The Lions just cut CJ Anderson who played twenty percent of snaps. Ty Johnson's snaps went from nine percent to twenty percent. They were high on him all offseason. Uh he's an explosive player. They want to use him in the pass catching role, so to speak, even though he didn't really do it at Maryland. And uh, I've saw a lot of beat reporters talk about that the CJ Anderson getting cut has actually says a lot more about Ty Johnson than carry on Johnson. So at three K uh, if he plays, you know, they've, they've really tried to keep carry on Johnson snaps under 60% so far. If he plays 40% of the snaps, I think he's got a shot to do something. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's not a single entry kind of guy. It's probably a 150 max where you have maybe three or 4% to, to, to triple the field, but, uh, I think Ty Johnson at forty percent snap share is interesting at minimum price.
1: yeah, that's a really intriguing call. Could be the DeMarcus Robinson of this week, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, like the guy's hair. that's uh, certainly uh, <laughs> I could never pull that off. but uh, uh will be interesting to monitor that uh, that snap count and against the defense and basically a team that's been ravaged uh, already by injuries in the Eagles. Um Detroit's got a pretty low team total, but if he's going to play more of the passing down reps, you know, if they're behind, that doesn't necessarily hurt him. So um, at 3K, doesn't need to do much to pay that off. If he gets in the end zone, uh, you know, or catches five balls, something like that uh, certainly pays off that price tag pretty easily. And uh, if you're fading some of the other chalkier value, I think that's really intriguing. So, um, Matt, anything else to add before we move to our final top?
3: I'll just echo Elliot on Demir Bird. I think he's a fantastic play. He, he kind of provides this direct pivot off Nelson Aguilar and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who will probably be a little higher owned in tournaments. But Demir Bird at 3K, Elliot touched on this, the snap share and the targets. But I don't think people should be worried about Crabtree at all. It seems like he's playing for Keyshawn Johnson more than anyone else. Demir Bird only has 106 air yards this year, and I think that will keep some people off him. But he's quietly a super-fast big-play receiver. He had 4.32 speed coming out of college. So this is definitely a guy that can break a big play. He has that in his toolbox. A 20-point game is not out of the realm of possibility for Demir Bird.
2: And for all you Narrative Street people, right, this is against his former team that he used to have big plays for. So if you're if you're a Narrative Street, revenge of the of the bird. You know, revenge would, of the bird. Define his former team.
1: The bird is the word. Um, all right, let's move to our final topic. Let's talk some game stacks, some interesting spots to target. Mine is not going to be a surprise. I've talked about it a couple times on the show. I think the total in that Carolina-Arizona Atlanta or game is far too low at about 44, 45 points uh, with the pace that those two teams play at. The fact that you can get guys like Kyler Murray and Kirk and Fitzgerald and uh, possibly Kyle Allen and, you know, you can get those guys at cheap price tags, obviously McCaffrey, or David Johnson you're paying for. But the passing games for these two teams are very affordable in DFS. I like stacking up a few pieces on each side of this game and, and hoping we get a nice back-and-forth shootout. So that's my favorite uh, game as far as, uh, you know, one with a lower total or low-ish total uh, to target this week. Uh, Elliot, what are you looking at for uh, juicy games this week?
2: Yeah, I mean, I – First, just to echo, I think we've, we've talked, we've all talked about it, right? Matt's talked about Kyler Murray. I've talked about Kyle Allen. I don't think I ever shut up about Curtis Samuel. You know, there's, there's a lot of guys in this game that I'm really intrigued by. And I think my favorite part is everyone's affordable to stack. Um, if I have to go down the list, you know, I'm gonna, stop me if you've heard this before, but I'm going to talk about the Bills game again. You know, Josh Allen and John Brown. You know, this is, I don't know what they need to do to get a price increase, but. Josh Allen wants to throw deep, and John Brown has, what, 40% of the air yards in his averaging. Yeah, 0.5. he's been great. And the Bengals, again, like I talked about earlier, on you know, passes 15 or more yards on the field, they give 21.3 yards per attempt. That's absurd. Uh You know, the Josh Allen kills bad defenses that don't get after the passer and can't cover deep, and that's exactly what the Bengals are. And if I'm looking to bring it back, I think Tyler Boyd's really intriguing. I know John Ross had that big play at the end of the game that, made his numbers, I think, look a little bit better than he actually played. Uh, don't get me wrong, John Ross has had an excellent start to the year. There's no way to counter-argue that, but Tyler Boyd's going to avoid Trey White. He's going to go in the slot. He had a big touchdown call back last week. You know, we're looking at about eight to ten targets in this game, and there's a little mini game stack. I like a Josh Allen, John Brown, run it back with Tyler Boyd.
1: You know, you talk about John Brown, and we always have talked about his big playability, and everybody knows that, but this guy's put up solid production this year and he doesn't have a catch longer than 40 yards. He's got 18 targets in two games. Like this is a, a safe John Brown plus the upside that we haven't seen yet. So, uh, this matchup against the Bengals could be one for that upside to show up in 5,500 on DraftKings. Super cheap, uh, for John Brown. So I love that call there. Uh, uh, Matt, uh, what are you looking at as far as, uh, some other uh, games to target if you're looking to stack some things up this week?
3: I like the New York Giants Tampa Bay Buccaneers game with right around 47 and a half at the over under right now. But like we talked about before, this is a really sweet spot for Tampa Bay pass catchers. And I think that has to put Jameis Winston in play, who did perform a little bit better last week. Again, 64% completion was pretty good here. And these New York corners are just absolutely atrocious. They're a team you want to target all day. Running it back, say you play Jameis and Mike Evans or Jameis, Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin even, which I think is in play. You can take Saquon or Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard. All of these guys have very low dots. Sterling Shepard finally back off the injury. Maybe he draws some lower ownership here.
1: All right. Yeah, those are some uh, certainly some games to target. I like the prospects of that game. And then, of course, the game of the week, obviously. Everyone's going to be watching Baltimore and Kansas City. Lamar Jackson against Patrick Mahomes. That one should be a lot of fun a couple two and O teams. And, uh, you know, it's been really impressive to see Lamar Jackson, uh, the way he's grown as a passer this year. And he's not sneaking up on anybody from a DFS perspective, but, uh, I'm really looking forward to watching that uh, battle this week with those two young gun quarterbacks and, uh, see if they can have a little shoot out there in Kansas city. So that one should be a lot of fun.
2: One fun question to wrap it up on that game. If you had to pick one, are you going with Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes?
1: <laughs> it's a great question. I don't want to spoil anybody's answer. So, uh, Matt, what do you think?
3: I'll take Lamar Jackson with his rushing upside. Yeah we, yeah, we
1: didn't. He he didn't have to do it in week one because they blitzed Miami. But last week, in a relatively competitive game, 120 rushing yards, 16 attempts, and the fact that you know he threw for 275 and a couple scores. Uh <laughs> Look, you're not going wrong with either one of these guys, and with Jimmy Smith out for the Ravens. Uh, Mahomes can certainly sling it around, but I'll, I'll take, I'll take Lamar by a hair. Uh, but, uh, not, not saying I'm trying to slight Mahomes at
2: all. Yeah. I think the answer is yes, right? There yeah, is no the answer, answer is yes. Here, but, <laughs> uh,
1: but, that's uh, correct. I, I but, agree with
2: you guys. Lamar Jackson for the savings and the, the, the rushing upside is just such a cheat code.
1: Yeah. Now, if you get me 40 yards is a touchdown. touchdown.
2: Yeah. If he gets 100 yards and a touchdown rushing, which is well within his range of outcomes. And we're, we're talking about, what, 19 points rushing, and then you add in all the pa- passing. It's going to be tough, tough for Mahomes to to match that. So I think Lamar Jackson's the higher ceiling player, and that's coming from just I – mean, I don't even know how I say that when you watch uh, Patrick Mahomes play football, but I, I do agree with both of you that Lamar Jackson is the way I would go.
1: All right. Uh, that's an action-packed hour, and that's going to wrap us up for this week. So uh, those of you who are watching with the free stream this week – uh, we hope you enjoyed it and we hope uh, that uh, you'll consider a premium subscription so you can come back and watch us each and every week. And uh, of course, uh, you know, you can check out, uh, Elliot does a ton of content with the Quant Edge. You can check them out at uh, thequantedge.com and uh, plenty of good tools over there and really excited to be partnering up. Uh, with Elliot and company this year uh, with Roto Grinders. So check them out, thequanedge.com, and uh, check out all our great Roto Grinders premium content as well. So for Matt and Elliot, that's going to wrap us up for this week. We thank you so much for watching, and thanks to our producer, Simon, as well. I'm Justin Van Zuden. Have a great week three, everybody. We'll see you later.